welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider, and today we are going to be talking about one of the most common blueprints we're starting to see in the NBA, and that is Sam Presti's plan. So I'm going to be talking about the Utah Jazz and the San Antonio Spurs and how they have been modeling Presti's initial blueprints how that's going to work for them in the upcoming seasons, and how that directly impacts the Oklahoma City Thunder going into their 2022-23 campaign. Starting things out, though, with Presti's plan. The Oklahoma City Thunder decided to hit the reset button a few seasons ago. They're entering year three of their rebuild After they concluded their bubble season where with a 0.2% chance of making the playoffs, guys like Chris Paul, Dennis Schroeder, SGA, Danilo Gallinari, Steven Adams, they were able to climb up and almost dethrone the Houston Rockets in the first round, decided to move on from all of them. And this was after the initial blows had been made the previous summer, Paul George had been dealt, Russell Westbrook had been dealt, and most of the primary chips were already on the table. That means SGA, Danilo Gallinari, five first-round picks, all going to Oklahoma City. But that was when they officially tore everything down. Chris Paul getting dealt to Phoenix for a couple first-round picks, Kelly Oubre, and you get a couple more additional throw-ons in there. You trade Steven Adams out in a deal that nets you Kenrich Williams and a little bit of draft capital. And then Danilo Gallinari walks Dennis Schroeder, He's on his way out. You know, they kind of just entered uh, the year two seasons ago with SGA, a budding star in Lou Dort based on what you saw in the playoffs, and no real trajectory. You had guys like Al Horford and such, but he gets traded immediately afterwards. So all the veterans are just getting dealt away. Trevor Ariza didn't even suit up for the Thunder. And now entering year three, you have a couple of veterans on this roster, but it is just Flourishing with young talent, Shea Gilgis Alexander, he's on the cusp of finally breaking into the All-Star game. Lou Dort's looking good. You have a large influx in rookie talent. Obviously, no Chet Holmgren this year, but J-Dub at 12, Usman Jang at 11, and even Jalen Williams, J-Will at 34. Cannot forget all these other guys on rookie-scale contracts, and All the additional first-round picks they still have in the chamber. So they have a record-setting collection of picks, but they also have a lot of talents. Can't forget about Josh Giddey. That's a little bit of a brain fart there, but that's still a really good young core. And because of this, teams are starting to take notice. Middling out in the NBA is something that everybody kind of knows exists. If you're a team like the Sacramento Kings, I know the Denver Nuggets, they were kind of stuck around that zone for a couple years. And the only way to get out of it, outside of very good draft selections, such as the Denver Nuggets picking Jokic and then so on and so forth, is to get to the top of the draft. You want to collect as many ping pong balls as possible, and you saw it through what the 76ers did in their process, where they're over here throwing games, they're picking up guys like TJ McConnell, Tony Roten, the list can go on and on on those franchises, or that kind of reign that... Hinky had there, but it worked. I mean, you end up getting guys like Jaleel Lokafor, Nerlens Noel, Ben Simmons. Was it kind of a, a bad break for them? Absolutely. I mean, they didn't have the most spectacular draft classes to pick from, but 
you did pan a star in Simmons, and obviously you can't forget guys like Joel Embiid and Michael Carter Williams, who also played you know their own part in how everything shaped up there. So just the idea of throwing away all your val- valuable assets, guys like the Drew Holidays of the world, uh, to get future players. That can be appealing when you're looking to rebuild, and it's better than, let's say, keeping Drew Holiday if you were those 76ers squads. He was, I think, 23, 24 years old at the time. He would have continued to progress, and he would have kind of given them a floor that they probably didn't want to based on how the lottery was built in those seasons. Same goes for the Thunder and how they approach things. Yes, they kept veterans. They kept guys like Al Horford for some of their runs, but ultimately, when they went to the final 10-15 games of the season, you didn't see SGA out there. You didn't see Lou Dort out there. You saw guys like Teo Maladon, Alexei Pokushevsky this past season. Players like Beat Kretschy, even G League assignments getting call-ups like Xavier Simpson, for example, playing 40 minutes a game. Yorgos Kalikzakis, Jalen Horde. You know, it, it turns into a different type of group. And I think a lot of that can be credited to how the back end of the season is utilized. Other teams have now joined that conversation, though, and we have seen a bigger push for it than I think we've seen in any season prior and more blatant almost than um, you could have asked. And it starts with the Utah Jazz here. They have had a historically active offseason. They've been successful you know, for the last couple of seasons, and they're just continuing to make the playoffs. But you have to kind of assess what your overall ceiling is, Are you going to be able to break that? And if you're not able to, then you start looking at other options. And that's what they decided to do. They decided to reshuffle the deck. They said, you know what? Victor Webinyama's in this draft class. Scoot Henderson's in this draft class. Overall, very good options, even outside of those top two. If they're going to tear it down, now's the perfect time to do it. Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert seem like there might have been some abrasion between those two. They decide they're going to take things in their own hands, and they get those back-to-back trades. Now, the big one, I know this is going in reverse order, happens with the Donovan Mitchell trade we saw earlier in the month. Cleveland Cavaliers are the sneaky buyers in this one. Looked like he'd be going to the New York Knicks or, you know, elsewhere. I know the Lakers, there was some presumptive package, but clearly they couldn't have matched what Cleveland offered. And this is a good trade, I think, for both sides, actually. Cleveland ends up getting Donovan Mitchell. Just turned 26 years old. You can chalk him up as an all-star. Don't think he's a superstar, but he's most definitely a star on a group that's going to have players at a 22-year-old Darius Garland, 21-year-old Isaac Okoro, Evan Mobley. He's only 21 years old. And you top it off with a 24-year-old Jared Allen. That's a really scary young group there. On the other side... Utah, they get a pretty solid package here, though, in Colin Sexton, Laurie Markkinen, Ochai Abaji, three unprotected first, 2025, 20, 27, and 29, and swaps in 26 and 28. So they get some far out selections. I think this is actually as far as they could have pa- uh, pushed the boundary on draft picks that 2029 season would be. So they do end up getting a pretty good break on that just because now you're looking at a situation where some of these guys in their prime, like Garland, for example, Evan Mobley, this is still going to be a good, good team, but Mitchell's going to be a bit older. You're going to start to see free agency kick in for these players. If there were to be a downfall, it'd be backloaded, not front loaded, unless there's crazy injuries and it's like a Clippers situation 
from a season ago, but they don't control those draft picks until 2025. Colin Sexton, it seemed like it really wouldn't work, you know, long term with him and Garland kind of patrolling. So had an interesting free agency period for him. Now he gets a situation with the Utah Jazz. And let's not forget that Colin Sexton, I mean, he's still very good at playing basketball, right? Like he averaged a, a good chunk, you know, two seasons ago. He averaged 24 points per game. Last year, a bit of a drop off. He didn't really play all that much last season, but he's 23 years old and he could bring some really valuable play to the table for them and kind of gives them almost the SGA of the trade, but they also get a young guy in Laurie Marketing. He's 25 and you could say still has some untapped potential. You know, when he was with the Chicago Bulls, I thought he was going to be better than John Collins. I think those two were kind of at the same level going in their sophomore campaigns. And the way Laurie played was able to stretch the court very good inside. I mean, he was even driving inside, dunking on people. And he just looked like a very well-rounded player after his first season with the Bulls. But didn't really work out. Boylan didn't utilize him exactly how he needed to be. Billy Donovan com- comes in and doesn't necessarily spread uh, marketing's wings as much as he needed to and then he starts having surgeries and you kind of get some woes there where he's just not the same player exactly kind of middled out but he's still very productive and at 25 he still has some room and now he has the best opportunity he's really had in his career to actually play the type of game he wants to and that could lead to some better statistics for him moving forward Ochai Abaji is the interesting one because they pick him 12th or 14th in this draft, excuse me. And the funniest part about this is the Cavaliers wanted Usman Jang or J. Will or J. Dub going into this draft at pick 14. That was what was reported after the fact. And either of those two very likely could have went to the Utah Jazz. I'm happy. I think out of those three, I'd most definitely rather have a Baji going in this deal because he's 22. Higher floor, I would say. Uh, I think J-Dub at this point has kind of asserted himself as a high floor basketball player. But I think both of Jang and J-Dub have a way higher ceiling than Abaji. Wasn't too high on him coming out of you know this draft cycle, to be honest with you. I didn't think that he'd be a good fit for the Thunder. For the Jazz, they probably do want the younger prospects. So Usman Jang would have been lovely for them but they'll settle with a lottery pick here and then they obviously get that uh, slew of draft picks on top of that too you cannot forget that they had the Rudy Gobert trade in the last month where they trade just Rudy Gobert and they get Malik Beasley Patrick Beverly Leandro Balmuro Walker Kessler 22 that's where he was picked in this year's class and Jared Vanderbilt who spectacular rebounder One of the more underrated players, I think, in the NBA. So that's a very valuable young talent. And then you still get four draft picks. 2023, 25, 27, 29, and you get a pick swap at 2026. So you only have gaps in the action in 2024 and 2028. And when you have the other trade kicking in in 2025, they're basically going to be good every year except for 2024, which is insanity. And their draft pick should already be pretty good in that season regardless. So they end up picking a historic haul of draft choices. I think if you compare it to the SGA trade, obviously hindsight's 2020 there. But 
you know, the Thunder got a better package with SGA. I also think they got the best player, the the Clippers did, in a Paul George who finished top five in MVP voting that last season. I mean, he was stellar. So I think he trumps what Gobert or Mitchell bring. But Mitchell and Gobert, they're all-stars. And that holds a lot of value for OKC. Why do they get so many of these draft assets? And why do these other teams get so many draft assets? When they are done with the reset button and they have a plan, they have a settled roster, you're not going to need all these draft picks. That's when you can jump in on these type of deals to get a Donovan Mitchell, to get a Rudy Gobert. And that's why there's so many different levels to this that will kick in uh, later on in this process than the immediate future might suggest. But the Jazz, they're kind of the big ones here where they just tore everything down. They're going to have very good young players, but is it going to be a winning team? Probably not so. And they also have a couple more assets that I expect them to flip. Malik Beasley at age 25. I think that's someone that could get moved. Bojan Bogdanovich at age 33. I think he's going to be gone as well. Jordan Clarkson, absolute stud. Age 30, he's going to be a microwave scorer that can take over basketball games. Playoff teams are most definitely calling about him. And then Mike Conley as well. I think that is... A potential option at age 34, his contract is a bit on the high side, but if a deal can be made without them giving up too much, I think that is in the cards as well. And even a guy like Rudy Gay, where just that young, or not young, but uh, maybe an old, an old presence that can help the young minds. There you go. So they they have different pieces that they can kind of pick and choose, and I'm sure they're going to have a couple more draft picks going into the regular season. Same goes for the San Antonio Spurs. I mean, they have had a couple of different trades go down, but the big one came with DeJounte Murray in June. End up trading DeJounte off, and in return, they get Danilo Gallinari, three first-round picks, and then they get a pick swap in 2026. So, Murray and Jock Landale, who now has been moved off from the Hawks, and then the Spurs getting Gallo, a protected upcoming first, which is going to be from New York, 2025 first unprotected, 2027 first unprotected, and that 2026 pick swap. Not as much coming in on this one, and that's that's kind of the shocker, because I think there's a case to be made that Murray would have gotten more than someone like Gobert, but you got to remember, Gobert is... One of the best defenders in basketball. You know, he's he's one defensive player of the year for a reason. And you're pairing him up with Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, D'Angelo Russell. You do have a recipe for success there uh, when they end up getting into action. That is a very scary uh, presence that you're going to have in the Timberwolves front court. The Hawks still end up getting someone who was a fringe triple-double average guard last year. Stellar defensively. And next to Trey Young, if he's able to kind of amp up his off-ball production off the catch, I mean, that is going to be a slam-dunk type of pairing for them. So that's beautiful. When you look at the Spurs overall, though, you know, they've continued to kind of trickle down on their roster. Guys like Lonnie Walker have moved moved on. He ended up taking an MLE with the Los Angeles Lakers earlier. So, you know, they have clearly also been active in the sense that they're looking to deconstruct here. They're looking to make moves that are going to get them younger, going to get them better odds, and uh, give them a shot at getting some very good talent in this upcoming draft class. 
not too much pops off the page for this team anymore. They have Jakob Pertl, who is still very good as a player. They picked up Jeremy Sohan and Blake Wesley in this draft. I'm really high on Blake Wesley. Jeremy Sohan, I think this is a very good situation. Um, Not going to lie, I wasn't too high on him going to the Thunder, just based on his perimeter play. But definitely well-oiled on the defensive side, which they could use. Devin Vassell at age 22. Not too shabby at all. Trey Jones underrated. Keldon Johnson, he's going to be your big guy moving forward. But you took down the big, big piece. And they don't have as much as the Jazz because I think the Jazz were further ahead in terms of making a playoff run where the Spurs were kind of a play-in team and they would have stayed as a fringe play-in team. Uh, Now they can kind of reassess the situation. And as a result, they're getting another guy who can help with the tank and Isaiah Roby play him up at the small ball five if need be but that's kind of their breakdown clearly these two teams are now looking to get draft picks they're looking to be in the bottom four teams going into lottery night it makes it a lot harder for other teams that might have that same type of mindset i think the thunder they're still in the race now that shed is gone but they do have a star which these other two teams don't have Other franchises around the league, such as the Houston Rockets, they seem like they should be heading in the right direction, but they're still young. Could they be at the bottom of the barrel? Detroit, I'd like to think they're turning the corner. I I think with Jaden Ivey now, a healthy Jaden Ivey, they're going to be good. Indiana, that might be a conversation you could have. Kind of talking more so on this overall um, race you have going on with these teams joining in the tanking pot and how that's going to impact the Oklahoma City Thunder. Let's start things out with just the broad, broad perspective of how this is going to work. You got more tanking teams, more talent just filled with young, young rosters going into next season with one of the biggest draft classes we have mocked up in years. When you have a guy such as Victor Webanyama, seven foot five, looks like he can shoot the three ball pretty well, very well-rounded, just unique talent, and then Scoot Henderson, who I think has a real argument to be the number one draft pick in this class, you have kind of that two-headed monster that the teams are going to be jumping after, and it's not just going to be the blatant tanking teams you might chalk up, such as the Utah Jazz or the Spurs, but other teams that will be in the you know bottom of the barrel race maybe to close out the season teams that could include the Oklahoma City Thunder the Orlando Magic the Houston Rockets that's when you start looking at the ping pong balls and that's when teams kind of really shift gears here but you know from just this one perspective this was most definitely the year to be throwing all those cards out be folding on stars such as Donovan Mitchell such as Rudy Gobert such as DeJounte Murray and I think that's kind of you know where we're at. I don't expect any other teams to really uh, go into that sort of mode, especially now that training camps are going to be starting in just about two weeks here. Might even be a little bit closer, but you definitely have these groups where the starting lineups are not going to be really on par with what they used to be. And let's just start things out talking about what the Utah Jazz have on the table. When you're looking at their starting unit, Mike Conley, you have Colin Sexton, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Laurie Markinen, and Walker Kessler if he's going to be their starting five. This looks very similar to kind of what OKC started out with when they had Colin Sexton, 
kind of has that SGA type of piece. Laurie Markkinen, a little bit older, right? But he still is talented, still has that sort of potential on him. And then these veterans. I don't expect Bogdanovich to be on this team for the remainder of the season. I would expect the trade to be had there. We already saw a really pivotal role player in Royce O'Neal being dealt for a first-round pick. Someone such as Jordan Clarkson, I know I mentioned it earlier, I think he'd be traded. Mike Conley, it's a bit more difficult. I don't know exactly how they could find a suitor, but if one would be had, uh, I think that he'd also be gone too. So they're going to be looking to play those younger guys. They just acquired Taylor Horton Tucker in offloading, and they got Stanley Johnson too in offloading Patrick Beverly. And then additionally, all these different guys they've tacked on from trades, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, you get Jared Vanderbilt, who, like I said, I'm very high on. And these guys don't maybe have the big name, but they are talented and they are fairly young. So I think they're going to be probably at the bottom looking to kind of pan gold out of all these different players that they've gotten. Maybe find like a Kenny Hustle type of veteran out of it. That'd be very sweet for them. San Antonio, very much the same. Trey Jones, he's going to be their starting point guard, at least how it looks now. Trey Jones is a very respectable player. Same goes with Tyus. Like, they are just very smart half-court passers, and that holds a lot of value. So I think he's very, very underrated. Devin Vassell, not a bad player, still fairly young. Doug McDermott at the starting small forward. That is a curveball, and I don't know if it's going to stick, but um, that's what the depth charts are reading like now. And and that kind of lets you know uh, where there might be a little bit of a drop-off with this team. Keldon Johnson's bound to have a good season. And then Jakob Pertle, he definitely had eyes on him. I guarantee they field calls on him. But he's very talented, and I think the Spurs organization, they know that. So they'll be holding off on probably Keldon Johnson deals and Jakob Pertle, but I can't imagine the others are really going to be off-limits. And they don't have as many options to trade such as Utah but you know they're in the direction where you know they're looking to acquire those top tier picks Houston's another team where I think they continue to just be bunched in the same batch as Oklahoma City and on paper they always look fairly good like you wouldn't expect them to be the worst team in basketball the last two seasons and this year I wouldn't expect it either but maybe they go for the three-peat and their own you know unique right They have Kevin Porter Jr., Jalen Green, Eric Gordon, Jabari Smith, Alperin Sangoon. Like, that's a good unit. And Eric Gordon continues to just be, like, on that trade mill. Like, if there's a good trade, you trade Eric Gordon. It just never comes to fruition, though. Uh, But that's still a team that I think is solid. OKC, you know, they're right there in the thick of it where you might mock them as maybe the fifth worst team. But on the other side of it... If you have a healthy SGA for the whole season, Lou Dort's healthy, no real injuries, this is still a very good team, even without Chet Holmgren playing basketball for the team this year. SGA, Josh Giddy, Lou Dort, Darius Baisley, Jeremiah Robinson Earl. The front court's a clear issue. That's not going to win you basketball games on that side. If the Thunder are successful, it's because of how dominant their backcourt play is. And because they have a lot of young talent, too, behind them. Trey Mann and J-Dub, they're going to be able to field very productive minutes But yeah, they don't have that true center that really is going to get them wins like a Chet Holmgren might do so. But in the short term, you know, clearly this is a a lot more of a, a dangerous type of market where the tank race is going to be ridiculous. Tankathon's probably going to be hitting record numbers for the 10th year in a row or however many years that site has been up. 
a lot of different spins are going to be had, and going into lottery night, it's going to be intense for everybody that is going to have their eyes set on it. I want to talk about the long term of this as well, um, but before I go into that, I do want to mention just one more thing on kind of how that impacts OKC, and it's through the draft picks. In This is a pick they already have, actually. The Derek Favors trade at the end of last year's draft was really, really funky. Right after the conclusion of the 60th pick, you're starting to see undrafted free agent sign, but instead you're hearing about Derek Favors being traded to the Thunder for a first-round pick. This is how quickly things can change. I mean, Utah, they they offloaded Favors' $10 million contract for a first because they thought they could chase the playoffs. Now they're sending everything out for first-round picks. Really unique first came out on this trade, though, and it went in the hands of Oklahoma City. No one knew what it was, and truthfully, I didn't know what it was until Joe Musato reported on it a couple weeks ago. The trade details include just a ton of different protections on it. Starts in 2024, it's a top 10 protection on Utah's pick. Top 10 again in 2025, and in 2026, it's a top 8 protection. Honestly, I think the most valuable thing out of this for the Thunder is the fact that this covers three seasons. We saw this with the Miami Heat protections. The Heat had to kind of retool their deal. And this came via the Clippers um, and how they, you know, exchanged. And then that trade, you know, with uh, SGA brought a lottery protected Heat pick over. But it caps off their flexibility in trading picks around and if the Jazz want to trade for somebody they're going to need to retool this I don't think they will solely off the fact this is a multi-year rebuild that will be going on in Utah but they would need to relieve those protections so they'd have to restructure it likely OKC ends up getting a second round pick or two off of how that would end up working this pick very well could convey to the Thunder. I mean, top 10 in 24 and 25, that's a couple seasons out now. The big one is in 2026. Top 8 protection. If the Utah Jazz are even close to touching the playoffs, that's going to be a pick for the OKC Thunder. And if the Jazz hit the jackpot in this draft, they're going to be on pace, I believe, to be a successful team, at least to the degree of they're not a bottom 8 team going into 2026 and that draft lottery. So there's some hope. I don't think that you throw this pick in the trash. Like this is still very much a valuable pickup. Like we saw Jeremy Grant got a top 20 protected pick from Denver. That was ridiculous. Clearly OKC won this Derek Favors trade, but the perspective of it does shift just because of how Utah has gone about this offseason. Continuing on, just talking about the implications for this Donovan Mitchell trade. It's not just short term. I think a lot of it is the long term and kind of just the overall story we've been talking about. OKC, I think realistically we can say hit the actual reset button two seasons ago. Kind of a soft launch three years ago. You knew that it was coming, but that's officially when everything got tore down. These teams are doing the same thing in San Antonio in Utah. I'd say Utah to a higher degree just because they were further along the road. But you're starting to see a lot more almost volatility in terms of the NBA market. You're seeing franchises that are just afraid to middle. 
This is something that plagued, that has plagued franchises when you're stuck in a play-in. You're stuck being a 6, 7, or 8 seed and you can't make it into the next round. That's what the Utah Jazz ended up being. And they decide to pull the plug, right? Other teams are going to take this strategy and they're going to try to use it because OKC made that blueprint. Philadelphia made that blueprint and it ended up being successful for both teams. I think that OKC is in a better place than they would have been. Philadelphia is in a better place than where they would have been had they continued building upon what they had with like Drew Holiday and Evan Turner at the time. That's not going to get you championships. For OKC, you have Paul George, you have Russell Westbrook, Paul George wants out, you have to make that move and you have to rebuild from everything, you know, kind of everything moved off the table and it's worked. Now you start to see all these picks come in though and you start to see kind of where this success could be built up with these franchises either wanting to be at the very top or the very bottom for these ping pong balls, a little bit of an imbalance in terms of draft selections. OKC still has 15 first round picks moving forward. Nine of those are unprotected. Six of them do have protections attached to them. So they're still very good in terms of the draft hall they acquired, and they still are the model that you're looking after. They are the number one rebuilding team in terms of draft equity still. The Utah Jazz are not far behind, though. They have made a crazy, crazy push in getting rid of Mitchell and Gobert. I think you need to take into account they're going to probably make more trades, and that's going to push them ahead of the Thunder and their 15 selections. The big thing, though, Utah is not getting strings attached. They have 13 unprotected picks here. And you have to remember, one of those picks the Utah Jazz do not have included in their 14 is the one going to the Thunder, which very well could turn back into their own pick in 2026. So you might want to put an asterisk on that, on OKC's and on Utah's. San Antonio has nine, which honestly is not that crazy. You know, their haul for DeJounte Murray was at a much more discounted price than what Utah got. They did a really good job in acquiring players and draft picks alike. I think they got the blend that kind of works. And Donovan Mitchell is a hell of a player. So I think that's why they got Sexton and Markinen still. And even got guys like Jared Vanderbilt coming in off the other trade. Even without those, you know, blatant, trade your guys, get picks teams. There's still guys that are, are very impressive in terms of their draft halls. Houston, they still have seven first round picks. Some protections are still going to Oklahoma City based on that Westbrook trade. It's about to end, but there is, you know, also going to be some strings attached to what Houston has to offer and other teams might be well on their way to tearing it down. So there's a new market yet again in trading for different sets of players Players are getting more disgruntled than ever. You know, you're in a, a, a mode here where it's very easy for people to be unhappy where they're at. You're going to see those trade rumors swirling out and about. It's not like 10, 15 years ago where it might be a murmur, but you're able to kind of shut it down. No, like they're actively able to, you know, <laughs> get that news out that someone doesn't want to play for your team. You know, look at the Kevin Durant situation sort of as that, uh, that mold, if you will, like the whole entire offseason, where is Kevin Durant going to be traded to? Kevin Durant, not happy with the team, basically throwing, um, you know, an ultimatum to Joe Sy's way where it's either, you know, you're either sticking with me or, or you're going to go with Steve Nash and that kind of crew. That's a lot of stuff that was being pushed out and about. And Ended up that he's going to stick around. You know, they're going to see how things go. I think in years prior, other stars, James Harden, 
He didn't want, you know, to be hanging around in Houston. Not what happened there. Like, stories are just able to get pushed really easily, and you're able to voice, you know, your opinion to hit the exit door. And that's fine, but it does make it a lot hard from a management perspective. And it makes having these draft picks so, so valuable because let's say you do want to hit the reset. You do want to get rid of your star. Let's say... 10, 15 years ago, yet again. I think the value of a first-round pick was a bit different. You weren't actively looking for first-round picks. But a trade like Carmelo Anthony, for example, when he got traded over to the New York Knicks, what did Denver get in return? It wasn't draft capital. It was current players that were actually pretty good. Danilo Gallinari at the time, very solid player. Wilson Chandler at the time, very, very solid player. J.R. Smith ends up going back to New York in that trade too. Very solid player. It's a lot more player-based than it is future pick-based. Now it's different to where if someone's trading Carmelo or someone's trading someone of that nature, they might be looking to get a 22, 23-year-old with a lot of upside, but on top of that, picks that are going to be able to help build around that newfound star. That's a hefty price for these players, but that's just how the game has adapted. So OKC is ahead of the curve, but now other teams are starting to kind of get into that territory as well. OKC has the advantage because they've had years up on the other different types of competition, of course, but this is probably going to be a lot more common where you are going to see shakeups over and over. And this could just be a fad. I don't think it is just based on how talented these draft pools end up being, but you do need to factor uh, that type of stuff into where these draft picks really do control a lot of what's going on and teams are not looking to you know trade first round picks it's not a light m- matter to trade a first rounder and when you do trade a first round pick there's going to be protections where i don't think that really would have been as intricate where you're throwing protections that are spanning 4 years together uh, as it had been prior you'd just be throwing Maybe a little light protection on a a pick, but top 20, top 25, that's kind of unheard of unless you're trading a second, which is just ultimately not going to convey whatsoever. So that's just kind of my view on all of this. I think that this ultimately uh, was to be expected. It is a tad unfortunate just based on where OKC is. You want to have the least amount of competition for those lottery picks as possible, but OKC might not necessarily be at the bottom of the barrel this year. You know, this is kind of an assumption that is being made, but I don't really know if it should be. I think that they could be very competitive this year with what they have in SGA. Clearly an all-star caliber point guard now with DeJounte and Donovan Mitchell gone. Two openings potentially in that all-star grouping. He could fill that. Lou Dort going to be solid. J-Dub improvement should be there. Josh Giddy improvement should be there. It's going to be some good, good basketball talent in Oklahoma City. It just comes down to if they can kind of fix out on that three, if the front court fills out, if they do, they might not be in the bottom three conversation, bottom four, bottom five. They could be a hell of a basketball team. And with Holmgren, I think they would have been probably outside of that bottom four. Now, maybe it could be back in the picture. This is not one of those rebuilding, it's like serious rebuilding years I think we have seen. They have some competitive pieces that are going to make games close. And I think it will be a different type of environment in a lot of these contests where in seasons past, 
you would start to see the Thunder kind of maybe fade away and lose some games. A lot more tighter single-digit contests, at least I believe, will be on the menu for this 2022-23 OKC Thunder squad. I'm going to be talking more about the Thunder, um, obviously, and just kind of more of the details going into training camp in the next couple of episodes here. If you guys are into this kind of talk where I talk maybe a little bit more league-wide, but it still links back to OKC, make sure to let me know. I love talking about the whole league perspective. I know I don't do it too often. G League coming up. We're going to get news on that, the G League draft, all that, and uh, how that could impact not just the Blue, but the Thunder in general. So stay on tune for that. Basketball on the horizon should be very good, and it's going to be hopefully some good coverage from me this season so thank you guys for listening to this podcast and that's going to do it for today's episode really appreciate it though guys and i will talk to you all next time see ya